We are at the end of the Christian year. A new one begins next Sunday as we start an Advent journey awaiting the arrival of the kingdom in its fullness. In the meantime, our passage makes us think of our king and his ways. From the arrest through to the trial, we hear a number of conversations. Uh, conversations that I imagine we like to think that we are very familiar with. These are passages that um, we particularly think of at Easter, but we know throughout the year speak of the Lord and his trial. But how well do we listen? How well do we hear? How well do we understand? Jesus is in the garden as our passage begins. And this is in the night after the meal where he had told the disciples that his body would be broken and that his blood would be shed. It is in the night after he had taken a towel and put it round his waist and knelt down and washed the disciples' feet as if a common servant. It is in the night where he had prayed to the Heavenly Father, if there is another way, yet not my way, but yours. Judas and the, the temple guard approach, supported by what is in effect the, the Roman riot squad that were there for the festival. Uh, they are stationed specifically to stop insurrection uh, during that time. And there's this sense of Gentile and Jewish authorities, the whole world coming before Jesus to bring that opposition. But John's description, John's gospel, doesn't wait for the traitor's kiss to happen. Instead, in this account, Jesus proactively steps forward and says, who is it you want? He knows what's happening. And his response when they say his name loses a little in translation. For in the Greek, it tells us that when they say, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene. Uh, our Lord's reply is, I am. The translation, to help us hear it sound more grammatically correct, tends to put, I am he. But the reason those arresting the Lord stumble backwards is because they hear those words. They hear the divine nature. I am 
who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. That physical presence of God. But as they quake, he doesn't. And he challenges them again before they arrest him. He steps forward in confident manner. He is ready to drink the cup of his father. As we listen and hear Jesus say, I am, do we recognize God's authority, the one that spoke in the beginning, the one that formed all that we know, all of this planet and every planet and star in space? The one whose authority in heaven and earth is invested in Jesus. And the one who is all-powerful, do we listen to him? The one who is led away to the priest's courtyard as new conversations begin. Those new conversations, and we get a servant girl asking Peter his status, and that's somewhat confusing. Another disciple had gone through the gate, and Peter didn't really follow. But that other disciple comes and has a word with the portress, and got Peter admitted to the courtyard. But why, given that pattern of events, Peter is still distant from his friend, the fellow disciple? And why is he at the fire, is challenging? Why is he denying the Lord? That's a mystery. But his denial is of himself. It's not actually a denial of the Lord as being the Christ, the Messiah, the one who has come to earth, the one that is anointed, the one that is king. But it is Peter's denial that he himself is a listener and a learner and one that would follow. Because he hasn't learned from Jesus everything that there is to learn. Jesus said, I am to those who come to arrest, but Peter says, not me. As we listen to the teachings of Jesus, do we choose to follow his sacrificial way of love, his way of stepping forward? Or do we choose to say, not me, not this time, 
I'm stepping backwards instead. In the time of challenge, do we sometimes take a different way out? The unnamed disciple, the one that went with Peter, is often taken to be John, who elsewhere in John's Gospel is called the beloved disciple. And he must be the one who bears witness to the priest's questions, the one that, unlike Peter, stood at the fire, is standing in darkness and chill. And along with the questions, he hears the answers. Why did Annas not ask the many witnesses to the temple events? As Jesus said, you know, why didn't you ask them? Why are you asking me? But of course then Annas would have heard of authority. He would have heard of healing. He would have heard of hope. And it wouldn't have fitted the priest's desired narrative for what he planned to do. It doesn't matter how Jesus answers Annas's questions because the outcome is always going to be the same. There is one way that is going. Governments still today do not ask questions that they don't want to hear the answer to. They put on their earmuffs and they turn away. In consultations, the questions are often designed to get a certain answer or an answer that whatever you put can be reinterpreted. For example, we might ask the question, would you like to see an increase in the number of retained firefighters, that's part-time firefighters that have a pager? And the obvious answer might be, yes, we long to see people safe and secure and uh, those brave women and men that might respond, and yes, if the, those numbers could be increased, protecting lives. But if that was done as a means of cutting full-time firefighters or closing a fire station to get the budget, then we might think that the answer is no. When a question is asked, how we respond requires careful listening to the question. But it also requires the Holy Spirit moving us. We have to be listening to what God would have us say, that we might be rightly guided. As we make decisions next week, as we have our church annual meeting, we need to discern God's will, God's wisdom, and 
and be God's people, not what we choose, but what God chooses. The process in our passage of questioning, as Jesus points out, lacks integrity. And then him saying this, an official slaps our Lord. And then the questioning is passed onwards from Annas to Caiaphas, which is not recorded in John's Gospel, and then on to Pilate. And this questioning and the abuse escalates. How many do not listen when they are told what they do not want to hear? You might think of politicians and how they spin their story. But it's true of us too. When the truth of the gospel is shared, some might wish they have their ear defenders on. It's a gospel of compassion and sacrifice. A gospel of giving and seeking the other's benefit. It is the gospel of a kingdom where the king does the most menial of tasks and suffers pain and even death on behalf of the citizens. Why would people not want to hear that? Because the gospel has to change us. We can't simply be people who hear the story and remain unmoved. The gospel changes us. Not simply into believers, but into true disciples. Disciples that model Christ's ways. When we seek our comforts, our easy life, and give our excuses not to engage, not to serve, not to be more than an audience, then we fail to listen to Jesus and don't act as he showed us. Now, of course, it's important at times that we're not always acting, that we are also resting, that we are gaining refreshment. God created a day of rest. He implemented concepts of jubilee and renewal, and we don't always in church life emphasize the importance of taking a break. But what I'm talking of is finding the balance in your life that when God challenges you to live and act differently, you do so. And that when he calls you, you respond. As the scene moves from that of the religious authorities to the palace, to the civil place, we see a new discussion begin as to who has authority and what is to happen. And the leaders that take Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate don't have a charge sheet. They say, 
He's a criminal. We brought him. We brought him because he's a criminal. But they can't put their finger on what he has done. Nor do they want to conduct the execution themselves. They say, we can't do that. But actually, we can see elsewhere that they do have the ability to execute if the Roman authorities say so. But that execution would have been by stoning. And that's not what they want to happen to Jesus. They have a fixed idea of the path ahead and what they want to see. They don't want to be close to a dead body on that day. That's partly why they don't go into the palace in case somebody had been buried there. The Passover is coming. They want to keep the feast. But they want Jesus to be crucified. They want to see him nailed to a tree. And that's what later in the gospel they start the crowd to shout, crucify, because that's how they want Jesus to die. Crucifixion was seen, or, or dying on a, tree, on a tree, was seen as being cursed by God. They wanted that vision. They didn't want Jesus to be seen as a martyr. They wanted him to be thought of as cursed. But we know different. And that in that blessed time, he won a, a great victory for us. We remember Pilate as the one who he later washes his hands, but it's the religious authorities that instigate, then distance themselves. It's them who are trying to shut down the conversation from going anywhere else and steering it in a very particular way. Meanwhile, Pilate has heard nothing to convince him. His ears at this point seem open to new understandings, but yet pinned down by the system that he is supposedly in charge of and outmaneuvered by those who should conform to his rule. He goes a different path. How open are we to new thoughts, I wonder, to new ideas? Do we listen and then go back to our old ways, our traditional understandings, not wishing to upset the apple cart? Or do we advance our thoughts? Do we move forward as God moves us forward? Pilate moves to Jesus. And I wonder just how often, you know, how often would 
someone in the position of Pilate actually speak to a prisoner that is facing the death penalty. Someone accused of great crime. Yet the man with a palace sees something in the one who in Matthew chapter 8 said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. The two extremes are vast. The civil authority and the son of God. The one with all power in heaven and earth and the one who thinks he's ruling a city but as we see here isn't even doing that. The vagabond rabbi is indeed a king. Not only of the Jews, as Pilate asks, and as the inscription at the cross will show, but so much more, the king of all creation. A very different king, a different sort of ruler, not an earthly king, not like the king that God's people wanted before Saul was anointed. When they first asked for a king, they demanded of Samuel, we want a king, a king over us, a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. You know, that's an earthly king. The king that leads them into war. But Jesus is the king who we have heard today surrenders himself to the temple guard and requires Peter to put away his sword. His army is not of violence, for this king is the prince of peace, whose kingdom is not of the earth and earthly ways. Yet one day this kingdom will be seen in fullness and envelope the world bringing a new earth. Last week, we heard how the stones of the temple would collapse. The same fate will come to the Roman Empire. The mighty Roman Empire would fail. But Christ's reign is eternal. But do we listen? in the conversations we have, in our reading of the word, do we listen to the true king? Do we take his teaching and his ways on board? Does our faith in him modify our thinking and behavior? I hope so. For as Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth, listens to me. May we, as we look ahead into the new Christian year, listen to the word of Jesus and each of us live 
as his true disciples. May we have ears that are unmuffled and be plugged in to what he says to us. Amen.